Turn with me, if you will, to 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel 30, and we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to read down to verse 25. If I had to get us a title, it would be Overcoming Your Ziklag. Overcoming Your Ziklag. All right, and it reads, And it came to pass, when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south, and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either small or great, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives, and their sons, and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went he and the 600 men that were with him, and came to the brook Basor, where those that were left behind stayed. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 abode behind, which were so faint that they could not go over the brook Basor. And David smote them from the twilight even unto the evening of the next day, and there escaped not a man of them, save 400 young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil, nor anything that they had taken to them. David recovered all. And David took all the flocks and the herds which they drave before those other cattle and said, This is David's spoil. And David came to the 200 men which were so faint that they could not follow David, whom they had made also to abide at the brook Basor, and they went forth to meet David and to meet the people that were with him. And when David came near to the people, he saluted them. Then answered all the wicked men and men of Belial, of those that went with David, and said, Because they went not with us, we will not give them aught of the spoil that we have recovered, save to every man his wife and his children, that they may lead them away and depart. Then said David, You shall not do so, my brethren, with that which the Lord hath given us who have preserved us and delivered the company that came against us into our hand. For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the staff that they part alike. And it was so from that day forward that he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel unto this day. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we just praise and thank you, Father, for the opportunity to partake of your word. And right now, Father, we give you the glory and honor for all the principles that you would teach us, Lord, according to your word. We just give you the praise, honor, and glory, Father, hallelujah, for just everything that you're doing on us, Lord. And we just thank and praise you, Father, that we would just learn all the principles that we would need on how to handle these situations that would seem to overwhelm us, to seem to destroy us, Lord, and to set us back. We praise and thank you, Father, that you would just give us by your spirit the words that we would need for edification, for comfort, for guidance, Lord, and that whether or not we're going through a trial and tribulation now, we would glean these things and that as these circumstances would come up, they would come back to our remembrance and we would be able to abide by them. And we just praise you, Father, once again for the authority of your word. We praise you that by the inspiration of your spirit, Lord, you would um, empower supernaturally. And not only that, Father, but enable us not only to win the victories for ourselves, but also for those that you've called for us to influence. And we just give you the glory, honor, and praise, Father, for these things. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, one of the things we see about the, the life of David, you know, I don't know how many of you watch soap operas or uh, reality shows or the different things that are on. 
we see all these different shows on TV nowadays, and it always seems to be like a lot of drama associated with them. And we were to look at the life of David, we would find that there also was a lot of drama. Most, most people, whether they're saved or unsaved, are aware of the circumstances of David and Bathsheba. Some people that may not be as well learned in the Bible may eventually come across information about his daughter Tamar that was raped by one of his sons, and then the, the other son killed him, and... That caused a lot of animosity in the family. But even before he got to these situations of being to the throne and having that affair with Bathsheba and also getting to the circumstances with his children, he actually had some drama that occurred prior to that. But as we'll see, some of this stuff actually led to him coming to the mindset where he started to entrust God with further things. So as we see here in this text scripture, he's in a situation where he came back to Ziklag and the town was totally razed to the ground, burned up in fire. His wives, which is another story, <laughs> wives, <laughs> plural, were taken from him as well as children and all his other belongings. Prior, before, that, before we get to that time, I just want to give you a little background because, first of all, David came back to the town of Ziklag, and it says here in his story that there was a period of one year and four months that he was residing there. One of the things you have to understand, though, is that the reason that he came to Ziklag in the first place is that he was fleeing for his life from Saul. He had probably hidden in woods, hidden out in the desert, hidden in caves, and everywhere he went, this man was on a continual rampage to snuff out the life of, of David because of jealousy. So David, after all this time and finally getting to the place where he was just worn out from running from Saul, he said, man, there must be a place where I can hide and this man will leave me alone. So he thought about the situation, and finally, he went of all places into the land of the Philistines, which were mortal enemies of the Israelites. Now, you would think that going into the land of the Philistines, David was known as being the man that killed ten thousands to Saul's thousands. Some of those people that were killed were actually the Philistines. So you would think that would be the last place this man needs to venture into. As soon as he crosses over to the territory, the king is going to snuff out his life. But instead, David was able to reside there for a year and four months. So you may ask yourself, how in the world could such a thing happen? How could a man live there safely without any kind of problem from the Philistines? Well, the situation occurred that enabled him to be there safely is that as he ventured in, Achish, A-C-H-I-S-H, the king of that area, saw David coming in and he said, hmm, maybe I should kill this guy, but you know what? It's one thing to bother David when we're venturing to their land attacking him. It's quite another when this man is basically in the mode of peace, just trying to find somewhere to reside peacefully. So instead of me fighting him and this guy kill another 10,000, you know what? Let me see if I can strike up a deal with him. So David and Akish met. They basically came into an arrangement where, David, I'll leave you alone, you and all the followers, to live here as a place of sanctuary. However... One of the things you've got to do for me in exchange for living safely is that you're going to be a mercenary for me. So when somebody's bothering me, I'm going to send you out with your anointing, and you're going to kill them on my behalf. So this arrangement worked. David, it's not all recorded here, but David would go out, kill people for on behalf of Achish. And then there came a day, unfortunately, where the Philistines are ready to fight up against the Israelites. Now, David had the situation. But he agreed to do it, so David was like, all right, well, I made an agreement I'm going to fight for this guy, and I'm giving, you know, the modern-day version, but he embarked, and he's ready to go. And he literally was going to fight up against the Israelite people. Now, the story, as it says in the previous chapter, and I believe in verse 28, I'm sorry, chapter 28, is that all the Philistines were passing by, going to fight the Israelites, and David and his men came up in the rear. So they're ready to go, they're ready to march into battle, they're ready to fight, and all of a sudden, all the princes of the kingdom are like, wait a minute, that's David, the guy been murdering like crazy, what do you think he's going to do coming up our rear, with our backs, you know, having to look back all the time, ready to fight us, so they were very angry, and they went to Archish, and they said, how are you going to have this guy taking up our rear, where we're totally defenseless? So... Archish called in David again, say, sorry, dude, you're not going to be able to fight this one. And he's like, look, I made an agreement I'm going to fight, and I'm going to fight wholeheartedly. But he said, you know what? You've been honest in my sight, but you've got to go home on this one because all these other guys just don't trust you to have their back. So here's where our story begins, where David finally comes home, 
ready to fight the Israelites, his own people, but he had to go back home, and now he comes in and finds out the people that he could have been fighting earlier and the people that Saul should have wiped out if he had been in obedience, the Amalekites, had now come back through his rear and wiped out his town as he was away from it. Amen? So that was the stage and the background of what went on in this story. Unfortunately, David ventured into Ziklag. And here's the thing. One of the things that it says about Ziklag is that the name Ziklag meant fortress. So a lot of times there's a lot of um, significance to biblical names and biblical places. So it would seem fitting that of all places that David would end up, that he would go to a place that's referred to as fortress. Only thing is... That name, Ziklag, wasn't really the, new, the true name of what it should have had. It was a corruption of a name, Halusa, which truly didn't mean that. It referred more to downward slopes than it did fortress. So sometimes you think you're going to a fortress, in other words, and the place that you think is fortified is not as fortified as you think it ought to be. Amen? Matter of fact, Halusa meant fortress, where Ziklag didn't. And then there's another word, Zahalaku, which meant downward slopes. So instead of him maybe being in a place that was referred to as a fortress, it might have been better named the other one that meant a downward slope because as we see, his life went downward after he was there. Now, before we go into a rampage of criticizing David once again for screwing up and having a life that was full of a lot of drama, unfortunately, there's a lot of parallels between us and David. Because how many of us, just like David, instead of trusting God totally as being our fortress and our refuge, try to make our own fortresses? Some of us go into our own places of ziklag, and we may even have a period of time in which we seem to reside there safely, but all of a sudden, everything hits the fan, and our ziklag is burning up all around us. Amen? Your ziklag might be your home, it might be your job, it might be your bank account, it might be your health. Basically, your Ziklag could be anything that you're truly trusting in to be your fortress of safety, your refuge, but it's not a place that's totally given over to God. Amen? So just as David was trusting in a place to be his fortress, he found out, unfortunately, that even though you may have a period of rest when you venture into the ter territory of the enemy, it's just a temporary thing. Amen? And your true fortress, your true safety, your only true refuge is in the hands of God. But thank God, because this experience, man, even though he had trust in a temporal place to be his place of fortification, his place of safety, later on, this made him come to the realization that he voiced in 2 Samuel 22. Now, in verses 1 to 4 of 2 Samuel 22, it says, David spake unto the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord had delivered him out of the hand of all his enemies and out of the hand of Saul. And he said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from all my enemies. That truly puts that passage of scripture into the proper perception. You know, he was in a time and place that when he said that, the Lord is my tower strength, the Lord is my refuge, the Lord is my high tower, the Lord is my fortress that he had already experienced in the previous book, a temporal fortress, amen? So it shows a pattern of growth. And basically that's something that each one of us have to go through as well. So once again, it's not a case of criticizing David, but we have to really examine what are the things that we're looking at as being our daily fortresses, amen? Have we come to the place that we say, you know what, even though these things are good, even though these things might give me a time of safe refuge, have I come to the place now that I've gone through the process of having my fortress destroyed, and now I'm taking my eyes off of the temporal thing, that thing is protecting me, and now I'm putting my total trust into the hands of God. Because when he was in that ziklag, he trusted in it, amen? He sat there, he had his safety, wife, I'm sorry, wives, Children, three square meals, friends surrounded him on every side. Everything was, as they say, hunky-dory in his life. Amen? And even after a hard day or days of going out into the battlefield, he always had the peace of mind that after I go out there on the battlefield and kill maybe another 10,000 men, I always have the security that when I come home, there's the two wives, there's the kids, 
And there's all the stuff that surrounded me, amen? But finally, he had to come to the place where he said, you know what? All that is just for naught. Would I trust God as my safe tower? Trust God as my refuge? If I don't see that the only true fortress is my God in heaven above, then all this stuff can be vanquished at a moment's notice, amen? How quickly did the enemy come? And here again, you see that the entire reason that he ran to Ziklag was to escape Saul. But Saul's failure came back to bite him, amen? The very Amalekites that Saul should have snuffed out basically were the ones that came in and raided that place and destroyed it, amen? So sometimes you think you figured out your way to get to your fortress, and the whole time they're just sitting back waiting for their opening to come in. That doesn't mean that we have to give up about our ziklags. That doesn't mean that we have to throw in a towel. It just shows us that we just truly need to, despite the safe haven that God may allow us here on the earth, we still have to give more trust into our God to be our, our fortress, our tower, our strength, and as we see, our rock. When we're tired the most because of life circumstances, you have to realize that there's going to be times, as, as David did, that we make personal mistakes. We're human. We're emotional. Sometimes we think that we're doing things the right way and we're fighting a battle. And sometimes we may think, hey, God's a little bit busy. So why should I give him this little one because it's kind of small? Haven't I grown in the Lord? Haven't I matured? Haven't I prayed for others? So maybe I need to deal with this one a little bit myself and not bother God. Amen? So sometimes we have to come back after we've tried to do things ourselves. And, you know, we're not out in sin. We're not trying to be prideful. But we're just trying to work out our own safety in a situation or our own resolution. But there's times where we fail. And then as we see even with David, there's times when you straight out sin. And it causes the door of the Amalekites to open up and for them to come in and hit your rear guard. Amen? But thank God that, regardless of that, he gives us the resolution of our problems. Now, one of the things I want to look at in terms of this is that David and his men, as we saw, were, they were very weary from their circumstances. They said they, they got to the point where they wept until they couldn't weep anymore. Some may say they were discouraged by the emotional baggage associated with going out here to battle, and now this has happened. Some may go a step further and say, hey, let's blame David. Because if he really trusted in God, instead of him running to Ziklag, maybe he should have just stayed out there in Israeli territory, Israelite territory, and continued to trust in God. Isn't it the very fact that he went to Ziklag a sign that he wasn't truly trusting in God? Maybe it was his own sin, his own lust, his own desires that allowed him to go into enemy territory and try to make his abode. But I thank God that in James chapter 1, there are times that we sin, but it says that we're not just sinning out of any old coincidental thing. But it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. So we see here, sometimes things do step in. Amen? Sometimes our own devices may lead us into a place of not being fortified, of opening up the back door for the Amalekites in our lives to come in. It says that sin and enticement, lust and all these desires are very personal. You can't say that God made you do this. You know, Flip, Flip Wilson used to say years ago, the devil made me do it. But we can't blame God. It says here that when we're tempted by various things, it is our own lust that leads us there. And you have to realize that these lusts, these sins, these enticements are very personal to each one of us. Amen? Because the things that tempt me may have no pull on you whatsoever. And then there might be certain things that push your hot buttons or entice you. And I'm like, what's the big deal? But they're all things that each one of us have to deal with. Amen? We can't be prideful and say, okay, well, you have a problem with worrying, so <laughs> you're lesser Christian than I. Worrying? What's the, what's the problem with worrying? And then somebody else has a problem with gambling. And you say, gambling? Like, I stopped that when I first got saved. That's Christianity 101. How can you still be lured by gambling? Amen? You know, because we all have things that are personal to us, things that entice us, things that are impacting us from our childhood, from our situations that we face on a daily basis. Amen? So it's very personal. So we cannot judge each other. All we could do is say, hey, despite my flaws, despite the things that make me take my eyes off of God and sin or take my eyes off of God to go into the place of 
Ziklag, where I think I got this figured out and I've provided my own safety, regardless of that, we have to say, you know what, let's repent of that, let's realize that we made a mistake, and then let's place it over to the hands of God and say, hey God, get me out of my own mess. Close the door of the Amalekites that are coming in behind me. Block them off. Surround me again, as we saw in that song today. Everywhere I go, surround me with your fortification, your goodness, your mercy. Put your spiritual force field around me. Hedge me up for my enemies so that they can't come in and sift me as wheat. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, another thing that the enemy tries to bring in to attack us, though, is, is, is just the enemy himself. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Amen? Praise God. So you have to realize that just as the Amalekites were looking at David when he left, and see, here's the thing. If David was leaving and he was going to fight up against anybody else, I think there's a possibility that Ziklag might not have been raised. I think the very fact that he was going to attack God's own chosen people, his people is the thing that finally opened up that door. See, David, you messed up, man. I'm looking at you. You're not trusting me totally. There's lessons you need to learn. But you know what? I'm allowing my goodness and mercy to cover you in Ziklag, surrounded by all these Philistines that are trusted in other gods. I'm going to give you the grace and mercy that you're tired. You've been discouraged. Saul's been running after you like a maniac. All right. I'll give you a break here, David, and I'll give you a time of rest. But uh-oh, you fought the Amalekites that day, leave you alone. You fought the Philistines that day, leave you alone. And then finally that one day came where David said, in order to keep my agreement with the enemy, I'm going to fight my own people. Amen? And I'm going to do it my best. You know, David, he didn't, he didn't come half, half speed. So if David was allowed to fight, if those princes did not tell him that we don't want David in our midst because we can't trust him, David would have killed a bunch of them. There have been a lot of Israelites on that ground laying there in a bloody mess because David had the anointing to kill. Amen? But God's probably divine mercy said, I'm not going to allow you to go to the throne one day with your own people's blood at your hands. I'm going to turn the hearts of the princes against you to distrust you so you get sent home so you won't fight my people. However, there's a lesson you need to learn. And I sat back, I watched the situation of you laying there in the enemy's camp, trusting in their provision and their deals to keep you safe. Now you cross the line, David. You're about to fight your own people, so I'm going to allow you, in my grace, not to go on the battlefield to, keep, to fight my people so that you can go to the throne without blood, the blood of Israelites on your hands. However, I'm going to have to pull up the barrier of protection now and let the very Amalekites that you've killed before, that got a grudge against you, and the Amalekites that Saul should have snuffed out, I'm going to lift up that barrier of protection so that you can learn the lesson of who your true tower of safety and your true fortress is. Amen? So David goes home and sees, I finally crossed the line. I was about to kill my own people, and God's provision got lifted up. And now the light bulb has come on. I thought my deal with all quiche was sparing my life. And the whole time, it was the grace and mercy of God that was covering me. And that's why he came to the realization, amen, 1 Samuel 30, Ziklag is my fortress. Ziklag is my refuge. Thank God. And see, we can thank God. Thank God that he lets me abide in the camp and the territory of my enemies. Thank God for that. And then when he's about to strike his own people, he finds out, oh, it wasn't really the Philistines that were protecting me. It was the grace and mercy of God that allowed me to live here. So I think there was a twofold thing. I think it was the loss of all his wives and the children that made David cry. But I think it was also the realization of, now I know who my true protection was all this time. And here I was about to kill my own people because of a deal with the enemy. And I really believe that's why he cried himself sore. And then he finally got to the point where he, when his own people were about to try to, to stone him to death, he said, you know what? I trusted in these people and my agreements with Akish. I trusted in my men at my side. Now I'm left here in a place where I'm all alone and all my people that are left want to stone me to death. So God, I'm turning myself totally over to you. And I think that's what set the stage for the next book of the Bible, 2 Samuel 22, where he says, God is my tower. God is my strength. God is my source, my tower, my provision, my rock, and my fortress. Amen? He had to come to that place. So you see there's a transition process, and that's what we have to go through as well. Now, as I said, the enemy cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. So just as the Amalekites 
plotted and planned. They watched David. And that one fateful day came where he left. And they said, oh, David's gone. Let's sneak in and take his stuff. And let's burn his town down while we're there. They came in and launched a successful attack after they targeted his area of weakness. Amen. Just as he was going in the rear door trying to fight his own people, they said the door opened up. They came in a large attack, and the enemy does the same thing in our lives. He looks and looks and looks. He watches us, amen? He waits. He's almost like a sniper. You know, I've seen um, programs and documentaries on snipers. Do you realize that a sniper will crouch on a building, cover himself with moss or grass or hay or something like that? They will lay in a field, in a tree, sometimes for days. Days. I mean, we find it hard sometimes to sit in a chair for 20 minutes without oof, getting uncomfortable. You know, I need to get up. I need to walk. You know, you start to cramp up. And a sniper will actually lay somewhere or sit somewhere for, for not just hours, but days, waiting for that perfect opportunity to snipe you. Amen? And they have the philosophy, one shot, one kill. There's no such thing as a, a miss. There's no, there's no room for missing the target. I'm not going to fire... So I have the perfect opportunity to kill my opponent. And whether I can do it in an hour, if I got to sit here a week, laying here on the ground, covered with moss so it looks like I'm grass, I'll lay there this whole time for that one kill shot. So they're very patient. And it's the same thing with the enemy. He's a sniper too. Maybe he's waiting in your life for a couple of hours. Maybe it's days. Maybe it's months. Or maybe it's even years. Amen. The enemy will sit there, poised with his spiritual sniper rifle, waiting for that one shot, that one kill shot that will snuff out the life of us. Amen? But thank God that even though the enemy wants to fire the kill shot, God blocks it from being fatal. Amen? So we might get wounded, we might get a couple bruises, but the enemy doesn't allow us, him to snuff out our life. Praise the Lord. So um, the enemy, like I said, is very patient. He doesn't waste his time coming at you with an attack that he thinks might work, could possibly wound you. He comes in with an attack that he thinks is going to devastate you, is going to exterminate you, amen? That's the mindset. See, we think sometimes because, oh, the enemy shot a dart, and that should have made me angry, should have hurt my feelings, should have weakened my faith in God. And we think, oh, the enemy sent us a light attack. The fact is, the enemy shoot the full barrel of things, but the only thing that's getting through is what God allows through to grow us and mature us and let us praise God for what he's doing in our lives. So we're thinking, oh, the enemy's not really attacking us that hard. No, the enemy's shooting kill shots at you. Amen? But it's just the grace of God that's letting the little, the little wound stuff get through. So the enemy only launches an attack against you if he has faith that he's going to kill you. He don't waste his time with just trying to stub your toe. Jam your finger. No, he's trying to get through because he has a, when he, has, he launches an attack against you, he has faith that it's going to actually succeed and devastate you, but God blocks it. The enemy doesn't launch an attack unless he meticulously thinks out, okay, where are their strengths, where are their weaknesses, and where can I get through a chink in their armor to hit them where they live? He doesn't just shoot a random target out there. I saw it on the movie 300, and I like this one part where the guy's talking to one of the emissaries of the enemy and they're like bow down and worship Xerxes and bow down to our man God and stuff like that. Like we even bow down to him. And the guy's like, we have an army. The ground shakes when we come because the weight of our troops. How can you fight us? And the guy's like, we would launch arrows at you that would block out the sun. The warrior there, I like his response. We'll fight in the shade I like that. And it's the same thing with us. The enemy is launching arrows and arrows and arrows. He might be shooting up enough arrows that would try to block out the Son of Man. I can't see Jesus in this. All I can see is all the arrows that the enemy is shooting my way. Amen? But what is your mindset? Do you say, I'm going to fight in the shade? Or do you say, oh, I better run before the arrows hit? (laughs) Amen? See, the sun is there the whole time. But do you allow your perceptions to be blocked by the arrows that are blocking it out right now? Or do you say, you know what, I may not be able to see the sun, but I know it's there. I know it's shining out on me. And whether you send one arrow or a million, I'll fight you in the shade if I have to. I don't even have to see the sun. I don't, in other words, I don't have to even see Jesus in this. But I'm going to fight you anyway, devil. 
because I know he's there. I know he's shining on me. Amen. You may have put me in the shade, but I'll fight you anyway. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. So the enemy does not direct his attacks at random targets. He targets specific things, areas that he thinks his attacks are going to work and devastate you. And he only comes, once again, as we see, with the purpose of stealing, killing, and destroying you. He doesn't expend his energy needlessly like we may do on a daily basis. He doesn't waste his time. He doesn't play games. He don't have time or the towers for just monkeying around. But thank God that even though he does that, amen, as we've already seen, the provision of God, the grace and mercy of God surrounds us all the time like a, fort, like a fortress, like a tower, like a force field, amen, hallelujah, that it does not get through. And we see that in the next point that I had. It says that when he came back to his hometown, all the, the, the town itself was burned to the ground. But one of the things that really caught my eye is that it says that the, that the Amalekites slew not any. See, they could destroy all your stuff, but God preserved all the people. Amen? They may have wanted, thought, they might have gone there saying, we're going to rape, pillage, and kill everybody. But God said, oh, no, you're not. I'm going to let you burn the town to teach my servant a lesson, but you ain't taking a life. Amen? He did the same thing with Job. He said, all right, you said my servant only loves me if I'm making his life all nice and good and hunky-dory and only a silver lining in the cloud. Tell you what, I'm going to pull back all that provision and everything. I'll let you kill all his animals. I'll let you do all this and that. But you ain't going to touch his life. You could do anything to Job short of taking his life. Amen? So look at that. He even had boils all over his body. But he couldn't take his life. And you think just because God said you can't take his life that the enemy didn't try? You think those boils all over his body were just there for, for show? cosmetic purposes you think they maybe put him in a movie studio and say oh we'll make you up you got to sit in a makeup chair for eight hours so we can get the effect of the boils all over your body no those are real boils and those things were full of pus all kinds of corruption infection so you think it was just there idly no the enemy's trying to take his life but god said you can't have it amen you ain't gonna you're not gonna slay my person and the same thing here you're not gonna slay my people so even when we're under attack God is still in control. The enemy may steal your material possessions, but he is restrained from taking the things that matter the most. Amen? Praise the Lord. So the raiders of the city, they typically, when they came in, they would kill at least the men and take the women, but they took all the people back, and no one was slain at Ziklag. Now, I like what it says in in Isaiah chapter 49 concerning the love and the mercy of God. Starting in verse 13, once again, it's Isaiah 49, 13. It says, Sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their sorrow. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. And the response in verse 15 says, Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for a child she was born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have written your name on my hand. So God, you know, so, well, sometimes we are in a place, when we're dealing with Ziklag, we say God has forgotten us. And God responds with the question, can a mother forget her children? Now, unfortunately, in this dysfunctional day and age, we do see mothers that not only abandoned but killed their children. We just saw recently in the news that a woman adopted a kid from Russia Apparently, he was kicking and maybe biting and doing dysfunctional behavior. When you adopt a child, especially from a foreign culture, you, you figure there should be some massive things that you got to overcome to heal the heart of that child. But instead of her enduring the process, she was like, forget this. Put the kid on a plane and send him back to Russia. Amen? So unfortunately, you know, the response to this question, can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she's born? I guess in this case, she could say, well, it wasn't her child. It was adopted. She didn't birth him. But the fact is, you know, the, 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 the principle is trying to say a mother will not forget her children. You know, and it shouldn't just be the ones that come out of her womb. You know, just the fact that a woman takes a child under her arms, under her, in her nest, amen, that she should love that child with all her heart and, if need be, give her life for that child. So we're in a dysfunctional age where maybe that answer isn't as, as, as clear as it used to be, but we get the point. God said a mother should not forget 
her nursing child. And even if she could, as it goes further, that says, even if she could, I won't do that because I've written your name in my hand. Amen? So we're going around, maybe dealing with situations, maybe going back to our ziklag, the place we thought that was our place of safe haven. Oh, it's burned to the ground. Or this, the structure is crumbling. The pillars are starting to crack. And it seems like everything is fading around me. But God says, you know what? It may f- seem to you that you're fighting the shade, as I already said. It may seem to you that the ceiling's about to fall down on you and take you. But God says, even though it may seem like I've departed you, your name is written in my hand. And even says that it's ever before him. So I cannot forget your name because it's ever before me. Every time I look at the work of my hands, amen, I see your name etched there. So there's no way it's impossible for me to ever forget my people. Praise the Lord. So there comes a time where, as we see with David and his men, that you can be overwhelmed with grief. And a lot of times we see with David's men, when you're overwhelmed with grief, instead of you examining yourself and saying, hey, what can I learn from this? Where, I'm try- where, where can I go? How could this happen? How can I grow? All these variable things that you could do on a positive level to handle your circumstances. There's some people that say, no, I ain't got time for all that. I just need to find somebody I can blame. <laughs> I blame you. So David's doing self-evaluation. He's probably examining, okay, I'm here in Ziklag. I'm living in a foreign nation with people that worship false gods. They're now on the march to try to kill out my people that I'm called to lead. And here I was about to fight them. So he's probably crying about the town, but also crying about his part and about to fight his own very people, amen, that he's called to be the ruler of. So he's weeping and weeping, and instead of the other people saying, what is our part in this? We, we didn't discourage David from going into the land of the enemy. We said, hey, let's do, let's do it, guy. <laughs> you know, let's go, because Saul's trying to kill us. So they were part of it. David didn't drag them in there and say, you got to go with me to Ziklag. No, he said, anybody, he said, look, I'm going to the Ziklag. That's a place I think is safe for us. And he didn't shackle anybody up and leave them in captivity in there. Those people followed David right in there. So they were part of the problem of David's folly there. Amen? But instead of them seeing their own part, we didn't trust God anymore. You did, David. Instead, we blame you, David, and we want to kill you for this mess that we're in. Amen? So they want to expend their enemy, their energy the wrong way and expend their energy, their strength, in worthless pursuits. Because blame shifting is never going to do anything for you. And what you've got to realize, according to the Word of God and just through life experience, is that people of God that truly trust in God, they will get into his presence in times of trouble, and they will encourage themselves in the fact that God's going to handle the situation. People that are not trusting in God or not to the place of trusting God, they are reduced to despair when they're dealing with these overwhelming circumstances. And they try to find something to blame. Amen? 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So if you allow your overwhelming circumstances to get you in the place of fear, that's when the torment starts to come in. Amen? That's where the heaviness comes in. That's where the blame shift that comes in, because you're so rattled in your emotions and everything that you need to find a target to vent it at. Instead of just giving it over to God. But it leads to torment. Because, you know, at the end of the day, when you're done blaming all those people, and either they don't care or they can't do anything about your circumstances, what are you going to do? But start to internalize it. And that's where the torment starts to come in that starts to wreak havoc on your mind, your emotions, and your body. And we've already been there in, the, in, the, in our previous series. Amen? So there's torment when we don't place our, call, our cares and our concerns into the hands of God. He tells us in Psalm 22, you know, sometimes it feels like God's forsaken us. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So if you want to see where God is in the midst of your circumstances, instead of blame shifting, or blaming God, if you can't see God there, maybe you're not praising him. Because God said, if you want to find me, I'm at the place of praise. See you at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, or whenever you make an appointment. But if you want me to show up, if you're murmuring and complaining, you whining and complaining, oh, woe is me. 
And you say you can't find me? You can't find me because I never put myself into the place of fear. I never put my presence in the place of blame. So you're trying to find me, that's the exact reason why you're not seeing me here. Because you're looking in a place that I'm never going to allow myself to go. See, the enemy brings forth fear. The enemy brings forth unbelief. You know, I'm not born in those things, and I'm not the author of those things. So you're not going to find me in those places. You want to find me? Praise me for who I am. Praise me for the things I've done in the past and things I'm going to do. And when you praise me, that's when, bam, you'll see the shade come up and my presence there. A verse I like that really ties back to our text scripture too is 1 Peter 1.13. 1 Peter 1.13. And it reads, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, we don't usually think about girding up your mind or your mind having loins. So we know there, there's a little, I guess, poetic license there. But he's saying, to make a point, gird up the loins of your mind. If you had some kind of limbs or you know, legs or something that are attached to your mind that direct where it's going, he says, I want you to gird it up. And going back to our text scripture, it talked about David encouraging himself. Or David encouraged himself in the Lord. That word encouraged in that text scripture means to bind, to repair, to strengthen, to withstand, or to behave valiantly or with courage. So once again, to bind, to repair, to strengthen, to withstand, or to behave valiantly. So when David encouraged himself in the Lord, it says that he was behaving courageously. And he was binding himself up. He was repairing his heart. He was uh, repairing his wounded emotions. He was um, repairing the disillusionment he felt. And it says that he was strengthening himself to withstand the circumstance. And then, instead of lying over in fetal position, crying himself to death, to behave valiantly. Despite what you feel, despite what you see, get up for your pity pot and now go out and get the stuff that you lost. So that's what David was doing when he encouraged himself. Now how's that tie into girding up the loins of your mind? I'm about to tell you. The word gird means to bind about or to tether a line between as with a belt. So once again, it means to bind yourself about or to tether yourself as if you had a belt. So in other words, when you feel like you're about to fall apart, gird yourself up. Strap yourself in. Don't let yourself fall apart. You start feeling things about the rupture. You're about to explode in fear, unbelief, and stuff like that. Don't allow this to happen. Through the word of God, bind yourself up. Keep yourself together. <laughs> the world says, get, get yourself together. So get yourself together in the word of God. Bind yourself up. Don't allow the spirit of fear in. Allow yourself to be bound up according to the word of God to stay upright in your circumstances, to pick yourself up. You've fallen down to the lowest pit of the ground. Bind yourself up. Attach yourself a line. In other words, tether yourself to God so that no matter how far far you've fallen, no matter how much you're falling apart, you get a grip, you strap yourself up, you bind yourself up, you... You do like Batman. You ever see Batman? He's about to swing between buildings. He takes a little gun-looking thing, and he shoots a little line that attaches to the building, and then he swings across. Well, you need to do that with God. Take your little bat out of your little bat belt, amen? Tether yourself a line between God. You fall down to the lowest pit. The enemy thinks he's got you trapped. You bind yourself up, and you tether yourself up to God and pull yourself out of that muck and the mire, amen? Hallelujah. Tether yourself a line. Now, one thing you have to, that's a, a good... Analogy to that is that workers up in New York on the George Washington Bridge, sometimes these guys are up 600 feet in the air on that bridge, breaking ice off of it to help keep the structure safe. Amen? So imagine, 600 feet up in the air. Just the fall alone is going to kill you. And even if there was a miracle that the fall wouldn't kill you, you hit the waters like a brick. It's like hitting concrete when your body hits the water from that height. Because just as the velocity your body is traveling, by the time you will hit that water, it would break, every bone in your body would be broken, you'd be dead. Amen? If you hit the bridge, you know you're dead. 
Because if the, if, the, if the bridge, the road on the bridge going over don't kill you, then the cars passing by are going to run you over. So those guys on that bridge know if I fall, party's over. Amen? So what do they do? Especially since there's ice up there and they can slip in the ice, they tether a line between themselves and the bridge so that even if they fall, that body starts going over because they slipped on the ice. They fall a certain length, but that rope keeps them from going all the way down to their death. So they might be bruised on their waist or their shoulders, wherever that tether is attached, but it doesn't take their life, amen? Because they've tethered themselves into the thing that could keep them safe. So it's the same way thing with you and I. God says, gird up the loins of your mind. Tether your mind and your spirit so that when the enemy tries to devastate you, when he tries to make you slip on the ice, on the slippery surface of your trials and tribulation, when he makes you want to fall to the lowest pit or to your death, amen, find yourself falling, but yet that line you tether between yourself and God keeps you attached. So you might get a little bruise, but you don't get killed. Amen? Praise the Lord. So tether yourself to the word of God. We stand firm upon the word of God. Amen? He extends, as we see here, grace to us. And how does that grace come? It says that we hope to the end for the grace that is brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. See, when you're just about to fall, when you're surrounded by your enemies, a lot of times you're like, I don't see God in all this. Amen? Well, just keep hoping. Keep hoping. Keep hope alive. Amen? Amen? Keep hope alive. (laughs) Because at some point, If you stand firm in God, you tether yourself to him despite what you see and what you hear, it says, what's going to happen? Sooner or later, the revelation of Jesus Christ in the midst of your circumstances is going to come. And when that comes, all of a sudden you're like, whoo, now I know I'm going to make it through. See, when that first report came, I couldn't see God in it. All I could hear was the report. When the test came, when the bill came, when all those different things came, I couldn't see God. God, how could you allow this to happen? Amen? So you didn't have the revelation of Jesus Christ. So all you had to do is just keep standing on the word, speaking it, thinking about it, perceiving it. I can't see you yet, God. I don't know why in the world this could happen to a loyal servant. You know, I've done all the right things. I've served you. I profess you. I've testified you. I've given money to charity. I've done all these different things. Lord, how in the world could this stuff be happening to me when the heathen is going through life with nothing going wrong? Amen? So you wonder, how in the world could this happen? But you stand firm in the word of God, trust him, praise him, and sooner or later... Here comes the revelation. And when the revelation comes, that's when you see exactly why God is in the midst of your circumstances. Amen. And that gives you more power to continue on also to see opportunities where you can bless the lives of other people. And that's one of the things I prayed about, my circumstance. And he gave me two things about that. Actually, he gave me two revelations about it alone. He said, how can a tree produce sap unless it's been pierced? You don't get maple syrup from the tree unless you pierce it. So they come up with the thing. They, they call it a tap. It's got a point on the end. They go over to that maple tree, take a hammer, boom, boom, boom. Knock it in. Next thing you know, after they pierce it, out comes the sap. And when the sap comes out, they're like, mm, mm, that's some good syrup. But you don't get it without bruising the tree. Amen? Another thing the Lord told me is, how can a vial produce ointment if you don't break it? There ain't no ointment. So everybody wants the anointing of God. Lord, I want to flow in power and might. I want to do signs and wonders for your name. I want to heal people in the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, I can't produce ointment out of you. The ointment to heal the bomb of Gilead. Amen. Unless I bruise you. And that was one of the biggest revelations he gave me about my surgery. As I'm dealing with going into surgery stuff, somebody's prophesying your healing ministry, and I've prayed and, had, and people have been healed before, but somebody prophesied your healing ministry is going to go to a whole new level. Amen? So we always want the easy route. See, you, you like the report of the healing ministry going to the next level, but you don't want to hear about the bruising part. To get to the healing ministry, I got to bruise you. Because, see, I want a greater sap to come out of you. See, there was, there was, people were tapping into it before. There was a flow of sap, but I want to produce more sap. So I got to tap the tree again. Amen? Jesus didn't become the Savior of the whole world till the tree was bruised. Amen? He was the Savior, but the full manifestation of him as Savior of all mankind did not occur until he was bruised, until the body was pierced. Amen? So we want to walk in his likeness. Why shouldn't we expect that sometimes you got to be bruised? Sometimes you got to be tapped, pierced, broken to produce the ointment 
Amen? That's going to flow out to touch the lives of other people. So that was something the Lord did, and I've seen people healed since, since that time. We had a testimony here, and I prayed for somebody for healing, and she confirmed that she had received the healing. But I'm believing God for greater things. And even in the specific area that I was targeting, amen, I went to a, to a cancer walk yesterday, and as I go through my neighborhood, I, I've run into men, all different races, all different ages. I'm walking through the neighborhood doing a, a walk and a prayer and stuff, and there'd be a man out there doing his lawn. We should say hi. And they say, you know, I'm just telling him all my business. Dude, you got to get yourself checked and stuff. I ain't got no shame. I'll tell them, you got to get yourself checked. Oh, you're 37, man. You, before you're 40, man, you need to handle your business, man. Don't assume nothing. So I use that as an open door instead of me, oh, well, it's me. No, let it be an opportunity to touch somebody else's life. Maybe spare somebody else that. Or at least if they go through that, let them know, hey, here's somebody you can talk to. Because I've gone to follow-up visits where I'm doing a follow-up and there's people coming in that are, one guy, the last time I went, he was like, that later that week, going to have the same surgery. So I was like, hey, man. And he never called me, but I talked to him about, this is going to happen. Here's what you expect. Here's my number. You got any questions? Give me a call, man. And he didn't, but at least I extended the opportunity. And I did talk to another person there that said, man, he's really felt better about hearing what I had to say. So sometimes you got to be bruised, but if it opens up doors to bless other people, then, as they say, it's, it's all good. Amen. So grace is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that David asked, whether he could go out and pursue this thing. Do I just give up on the things that have occurred with me? Amen? Or do I go and pursue? And it says that he asked for, called for the priest, the man of God. He prayed and he said, according to the ephod, which they used at that time to get divine inspiration and revelation from God, they said, go and pursue. So David went. And that's the thing that we need to do. Amen? Don't just go out and venture and say, hey, do I need to go out and, and try to recover all the things that I, I lost on my own strength? We need to go to God. Some cases he may say, you know, I'm just moving you on to, for, to new things. You don't even need what you lost. Amen? I'm moving you on. And you're out there pursuing that stuff. And God said, if you stop focusing on the stuff you lost, you see that the stuff I have in store for you is so much better. So you're just wasting all this time chasing after that. Man, that stuff is just mess. That stuff, bargain basement, I'm trying to give you Macy's. Amen? You know, some of the, 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 the top-line stores over, I'm trying to give you Harrods. Amen? And you over here chasing Sears. And I got nothing against Sears. <laughs> if anybody from Sears ever hears this, I ain't got nothing against Sears. But I'm sorry, y'all ain't Harrods. <laughs> so the Word of God tells us, ask God first before you go off pursuing stuff. The book of James, chapter 4 Verse 13 says, go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So we need to ask God, not what is my agenda, but what is your game plan? How do you want me to handle the situation? And if God does give you the revelation you need to go, you need to go and do it at once. Don't hesitate. Because with your hesitation comes the time for the enemy's fearful thoughts to come in that will try to hinder you from doing the things that God has for you to do. Amen? So you need to... Seek God, but once he gives you the marching orders, go at once. Don't hesitate because it allows that doubt and that unbelief and the fear to come in. Now, if you don't have revelation, you're not sure you're hearing God correctly, what should you do? Well, the Word of God tells us how to handle that as well. In Proverbs 11:14, 14, it says, Where no counsel is, the people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So if you're not sure, you're not hearing from God, or you think you heard God, but you're not sure if you heard him right because your emotions are too much in the mix, or maybe you're a little fearful, and I don't even know if I can trust myself right now. Well, don't sit there and say, I'm going to run out what I think I heard, or I'm not going to run out because I don't know if I heard God right. No, go to people that you trust spiritually that are going to pray, see the face of God on your behalf, let scriptures come to their mind that they can share with you to say, well, when I was praying, the Lord gave me this verse of scripture, so... Go read this and pray about it and see if you feel that that's tying into your circumstance and the way you need to proceed. Amen? In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. 
So go to those people. And there may be times, sometimes we get to try to get so spiritual. Like, I ain't listening to no heathen man. You ain't saved and born again and speaking in tongues. You ain't got nothing to say to me about nothing. Amen? No, I mean, there's times where in the secular world they have good, valuable knowledge. Amen? So take what they have to say, then balance it back with what God has for you. Don't just sit there and say, I just refuse. Do you know Jesus, Lord, and say you're pardoning your sins? No, uh, you ain't got nothing to say to me. Because they might have something to save your life. <laughs> Amen? I don't know if my surgeon was saved. Doggone right I used him. <laughs> the Lord showed me I could trust him. That's good enough for me. And he did a good job. And I thank God for him. And if he ain't saved, I hope he is, he's, it is now or is going to be. Because he has a special place in my heart for what he's done for me. So I do pray for him. And like I said, I don't know if he was saved at the time of my surgery. But I said, I trust the God of all creation to guide his hand. Amen? Hallelujah. And the thing is, he wasn't even touching my body. He's on the table on the console half a room away. Lord, you could touch his hand on that console. <laughs> Amen. God, his eyesight. Give him the vision of an eagle. Amen. Give him surety of his hands. Amen. As if he was building Noah, if he, as he was Noah building the ark. Give him the surety of hand to craft that thing right or to, to, to work on my body. Amen. So let God guide his hand. And that's, and that's what he did. Amen. So like I said, if you're not sure you're hearing God, go to the multitude of counselors. And as, as it says in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, it's a time where the people are going to, they espied out the land, and Joshua and Caleb said, let's, let's go up at once. The other spies were like, oh, there's giants in the land, don't do it. Joshua and Caleb said, no, let's do it at once, let's not hesitate. God told us the land is, is ours for the taking, let's do it at once. Let's not give ourselves time to get instilled with fear. So we're sitting here crying about the giants. Instead, God told us to go, let's go. And if the giants dare to get in the way, well, there's going to be a bunch of dead giants on the ground. Amen? Amen. Let's go up at once. Don't hesitate. Praise the Lord. The enemy sometimes, like I said, will rejoice at the things that he's stolen from you. When they got there to the town, the Malachites, they were all happy. We got David's stuff. Burn up his town like the little cowards they were. They were they're so valiant, they would attack the town when David was there. They knew he would have killed them all. So they're going to come in like these little creeps through the back door, man even home, ain't nothing but a bunch of women and old men there, and then they're going to think they're valiant as they took all his stuff and burned his town. So they're sitting there celebrating, having a little party, a little coward's party, and rejoicing in everything. But as we saw with David, it says that when God gave him the go-ahead, this man rode so hard and so fast, day and night, that it says some people couldn't even keep up with him. So those people stayed by the brook base They're like, sorry, Dave, we, we, we just can't go, man. We're worn out. Our horses are worn out. We just can't keep up. And David's like, that's all right. I'm going to go what I have. God told me to go. I ain't hesitating. I ain't waiting. See you later. He just kept going. And he went and he got all the stuff. And it just says in the word of God that a good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. So the enemy thought that he had stolen all this stuff from David. He thought he had stolen stuff from other people. But all that stuff was just laid up for the just people of God to come in, vanquish them, and steal it. Amen. That was Proverbs 13.22. I want to leave you hanging. Proverbs 13, 22. So the Amalekites stole that stuff. But here's a revelation. Actually, the Lord just gave it to me. Do you realize that when David went, it said he got not only his stuff but spoil? But it was the attack of the enemy taking his stuff that opened up the door for him to go to get his stuff and the spoil that was waiting there. So we always hating the attack of the enemy. But you don't know whether the attack of the enemy is setting you up to not only keep what you got or recover what you got, but you get the spoil that was laid up that enemy was sitting there hoarding. <laughs> Amen? That's for, straight from the throne room right now. Amen? So, so we see, oh, well, it's me. The enemy stole my stuff. Well, shoot. Go get your stuff if God gives you to go ahead. And then say, hey, Lord, if you told me to go in the battlefield to get my stuff, what was the enemy storing up in there? Hmm, let me take a little bit of this. A little bit of that. Let me get me some stuff. Amen. Let me get some profit margin off of what the enemy took. Amen. So the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. And that's what David found. He went there to that town. He said, all right, there's my wives. Give me my wives. Give me my livestock. All the children. All that stuff. And you know what? 
Y'all sitting here partying, celebrating, you little cowards. Y'all want to fight? Then you better try to get up now. If not, I'm taking all that stuff too. So he took all the stuff that was there in that camp, amen, that they were sitting there celebrating over. So they thought and were celebrating the fact that they had defeated the enemy, David, and devastated him. And what they didn't realize is that they were only pawns in the hand of God to bless them with more than they had before David had gone out on a venture, amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So the enemy thinks he's doing something. He thinks he succeeded. And all he's doing is bankrolling your future stuff. Whoo. Straight from the throne. Now, ain't in my notes. So y'all better receive that. Amen. Better receive that. Praise the Lord. I'm going to have Pam remind me. <laughs> remind me to receive that. Praise the Lord. Here's another one. Pam quotes this one a lot, too. Exodus 22.7. If a man shall deliver unto his neighbor money or stuff to keep, and it be stolen out of the man's house, if the thief be found, let him pay double. It don't matter whether it was your stuff that the enemy stole, or if you put something into the hands of another saint and he stole from them, the Lord said, you catch that thief, he had to pay you double. Praise the Lord. So he ain't going to just give back what he stole. No, it's going to be restitution. And you know what? I'm throwing a fine on top of that. You ain't going to just restore back. You shouldn't have stole my stuff in the first place. And now you're going to give me double what you took. So some people I heard say, double for your trouble. Amen? Double portion for your trouble. Amen? Double anointing. So our wealth in the enemy's hand is actually being held in reserve for us. Amen? He thinks he's thwarted you. He thinks he's defeated you. He thinks you're devastating, just laying there in a, a fetal position, crying your life away. Amen? And you will be doing that if you don't allow yourself to gird yourself up and get into the presence of the Lord. But if you do the thing that David did, get yourself up, encourage yourself in the Lord, remember that there's a reserve being held for you. Amen? Not only your stuff, but the other stuff that the enemy stole from other people. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, hopefully when you go get that stuff, it's not some poor saint that's there in a fetal position that didn't come and get it. Because you know what? If the Lord allows me to catch a thief and he says take double, he allows me to get my stuff for spoil, I'm taking it. And I ain't going to take the time to do an inventory and say, well, did you steal this from a heathen? Or did you take this from a saint that ain't encouraging himself in the Lord? When I go shopping at the enemy's thrift shop, no, sorry. When I go shopping at the enemy's Harrods, because we're going to leap. I ain't going to say, well, was there an unbelieving saint whose stuff you stole there on that shelf? I'd be like, sorry. I'm taking everything off the shelf that's of value. So they didn't do their thing in God. They didn't encourage themselves in the Lord to go back and get their stuff and spoil. Sorry, I'll pray for you. If the Lord tells me to give it to you, I'll give it to you. But when I go shopping at the thief's store, I'm taking everything I can get my hands on. It's going to be like one of those spiritual things, you know, like when they, you win one of those shopping sprees. And you go there, and they give you a shopping cart, and they said, you got five minutes to grab everything you can. Now, I see some people, when they do that, I'm like, why are you shopping like that? They be going there in a grocery store, like let's say it's Walmart. They go in a grocery store, and they grabbing lipstick and perfume and toiletries. I'm like, man, I'm going right for the TV section. I'm filling that cart with, I'm going to have DVDs, I mean HDTVs, 50, 50 inches stacked as high as them suckers can go. So I'm coming out, the car going to be all tipping sideways on two wheels, 10 HDTVs, something, computer bags with computers in them, hanging off the side of the shopping cart, everything I have, stuff hanging from my back, my shoulders. I'm going to be about 500 pounds of stuff coming out of the store at the end of my five-minute shopping spree, amen? I ain't going in this shopping light. So, <laughs> so if you catch the enemy, man, you need to, like, go full tilt, amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Final point, which is a really good point. When David and his men had recovered all their stuff and spoil, there was a spirit of selfishness there. Because when they got to the Basor, if you recall, there were some people that were so exhausted that their heart was in the right place, whether they were older, sickly, maybe they hadn't eaten right, maybe they just weren't as fit as David, or maybe they were still lacking in their faith. So when they got to the Brook Basor, they were like, exhausted, we just can't go anymore, David. We're behind you in heart, but we just can't go. So David's like, all right, well, whoever's left, I ain't stopping. Let's go. So the ones that were with him, they went, and we see the end of the story that they won all the stuff. They won spoil, and they brought it back. So when they got back to the camp, as a lot of people do, we ain't fighting nobody. So they ain't getting no cut. Y'all wanted a cut. Y'all shouldn't have stopped the base sore. I was tired of the base sore. I kept going. 
So how do you think you're going to cut of my hard work? I'm the one who had to wield my sword against the Malachite and save my life and save the life of my partner. Amen? You didn't do nothing, so you ain't getting no cut. I ain't breaking you off. But as we see with David, David said, it doesn't matter whether you went all the way with me or part of the way with me. Everybody is going to get the same equal share of the stuff that we got. Amen? So that's the final word for us today. Not only when the Lord blesses us, we may go through devastating circumstances, but when we get through and the Lord gives us victory and allows us to get the stuff that the, the enemy has stolen, when we get back on the other side and we're in the land of victory, don't forget about the people that might have gone to part of the way. Don't say because you didn't go with me all the way to the touchdown that I'm not going to give you a part. If they had the heart that they're at least with you in spirit, in prayer, at least say, hey, I wish you the best. Remember them and be willing to bless them as well with the spoil that the enemy enables you to get. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. All right, let's rise up and let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord.